Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever this podcast may find you. It is I, your MC of the evening of this Tuesday podcast, Gavin. And I, Justin. And Crickets. And we are joined by Crickets because Jordan had better things to do on uh, Monday night. Work meeting. <laughs> I'm sure he's enjoying the hell out of it. I'm sure he is. Talking about buildings and shit. Yep. But uh, yeah, so it's just us two, which is totally cool. Um, we'll catch you next week, Jordan, hopefully. And uh, until then, I'll be drinking your whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he gets for leaving it here. Uh, I mean, it's for the podcast. It's it's for, <laughs> like in the movie Hot Fuzz, it's for the greater good. Yep, and also... The greater good. It's a random side note, because we'll be talking about sobs in this episode for a minute. Um, one of my friends just sent me a guy that apparently is in a Colorado sob group that they, quote, say, looks like a Kirkland brand version of me. <laughs> oh, my God. He's got more meat on his bones. He's he got more muscle. He's definitely a That's bigger That's fucking dude. funny, though. The mustache is pretty on point. Yeah, and even a lot of the facial features, too. You're showing me? Yeah, I can kind of see it. That's that's, that's funny. fucking funny. Oh man, uh, there's a type. Oh so, yeah, that's uh, probably the fourth doppelganger I know of. So when are you getting your uh, dental degree? <sighs> Architect, not dental. Architects drive sobs. I Den- thought I thought dentists also did. I think dentists drive Volvos. Oh okay. I don't know. Much stereotyping <laughs> is going on in this. I mean, episode. it's for the. At least it's been known to be for the executive that doesn't want to necessarily go on the beaten path and wants to kind of be different and quirky. So I kind of identify dentists, doctors, lawyers, not so much lawyers. Lawyers are pretty. Well, I even remember when um, Top Gear did their sub special um, back yeah. in 2009 or no, sorry, 2011 when yeah. they went defunct. Um one of the, sti- I don't remember the, they didn't really quote an exact statistic, but somewhere somebody found it eventually that sob drivers were the most educated on the road because I think more than half of them had at least a master's. Yeah, that's the new, that's the new cars, not the used ones. Mm-hmm. Justin, don't try to elevate your IQ with your cars. <laughs> well, no, I just ruined myself because I have zero college. <laughs> so I just went against the grain completely. Uh, you're good at that. But yeah, so. On to the reason why we're talking about sobs. This weekend, which was September 28th, marked four years to the day that I got back on the largest road trip of my life that I've taken to date, and um, the longest car I've owned to date, which is my Saab 900 SPG. A lot of people in Utah know me as a Saab guy, even though I've owned more Audis, even more Fords than Saabs, um, because I've owned a Focus, an F450, and then... had like a, had an F two fifty at one point for a hot minute. I keep on forgetting that you actually owned that F four fifty. Yeah, mm-hmm. owned it outright. That was like the beginning of our friendship. Yeah, right before I sold it and made some money. It was great, <laughs> but so how did I get to kind of acquiring the Saab? Is kind of a weird story. Um, the beginning of my knowledge of Saabs was in high school when a friend of mine, whose dad was a trained Saab mechanic back in the day had one. Um, his name's Alec Wilson. Shout out to Alec. He's awesome. And he still owns a Saab. It's not that exact one, but so that car was laser red. So I think just kind of a bright, very stereotypical red when it's polished up, almost similar to like the Gavin, you're better at things like this than me. The Ferrari red. What's the name? 
Uh, there's a number of reds, but Rosso uh, red, Rosso red is kind of the Ferrari stereotype. Co- yeah, yeah, that's this red polished up is about the same hue as that one. Okay, you know, very very bright red. Yeah, a very eye catching red. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first. It's also known as Ferrari red. Yeah, like exactly. people that don't know Ferraris, they just say yeah, it's, well, it's Ferrari, Ferrari red. red. But I think the color, uh, the actual name of the color is Rosso. Yeah, and the actual um, name of this one was Talladega Red. So, but it's a very similar sheen to it. And that was the first Saab that I ever laid eyes on was in high school and rode around. And I I remember us knowing nothing, going in and dicking with the boost controller and the injectors and a few other things, and then realizing that it, the second you would get into boost, it would cut all boost from an overboost function. <laughs> so then we called his dad at like 9 p.m. Hey, how do you like trick the overboost into, you know, not shutting down the car? <laughs> that And that fucking car got destroyed. But that car taught me, I, I liked it because it was quirky, but that car taught me how bulletproof they can be because he actually, his senior year, drove it up to a ski resort. And somewhere along the line, it lost all of its coolant. And seized the engine. Uh. Towed it back to his dad's shop. Dad pulled off the head, took a large rod, pounded the cylinder, unstuck it, put it back together, and it just started right back up. Oh, my God. Now, granted, it wasn't like a full bore, like, fat seize. It was more just like, okay, slow, until he can get to a pullout, slowly stopping until it just got so hot that it locked up after he stopped it. Sure. But still. Seized motor is seized motor. And that car at that point, I believe, had close to a half million miles on it. Jesus. And you're just, where are you now? Because I mean, just shy of 400? No, I'm at like 340 still. 340 still? I I haven't driven it much in the past two years. Not nearly as much as I used to. Right. Because it was a daily for a minute. But um, yeah, my car's well over the 250,000 mark. Over the 300 mark by most calculations. And what I mean by that is this. The only exact number that I know of at the mileage of that car is that it was at 189,000 in 2001. <laughs> right. So That's, it's all calculations. So it could be at 360. It could be at 400. It could be, could at, be at 280. I mean, you don't know. these are all the calculations that I have are based off of what I know the previous owner did with it and how much he drove it. And yeah. the odometer already being intermittent two years before it finally completely stopped working in 2001. Gotcha. So I'd imagine it was probably at around 200000 when he bought it. And he owned it for 15 years up until, or sorry, um, 14 years up until 2015 when he sold it to me. Yeah. And he estimates that he, he basically drove it for mostly just the summer. It never saw the winter. Um, until you had until it. Until I had it, and then it <laughs> was outside a lot of its life, sadly. But That's unfortunate. It, it is, but considering that, it's held on pretty well. Yeah. Um, but uh, he estimated he probably put about 8,000 miles a year on it. He didn't have crazy commute. He didn't have lots to do, and so it was mostly just either... The car wasn't on load no, a bunch. No, com- commutes during, like, weekdays and with some weekend fun. Because during that time... Yeah. He slowly rebuilt it, um, and to paint a picture of what my car is, it's lowered by two inches all around statically on H&R lowering springs, Coney adjustable race shocks. Yeah. Um, looks good. Looks great. I think it's a, I think it's the perfect height for that car. I it, think so. Yeah. It, it's not too low. It's still usable. 
Um, it's still usable and uh, it just looks, it also handles very well though. Surprisingly, yes, for yeah. an old chassis like that. Yeah. Um, and then he proceeded to the AC and cruise control already weren't working anyway, so he removed those systems, which in that car removes about 150 pounds of shit just because it's old AC. Not bad. Um, and then, let's see. He got a set of wheels in the Saab community that are known as Super Arrows, which are deep dish, three-spoke wheels, fairly stereotypical to Saab. Sure, They sure. were just never offered on that car. He got a set of those, made them straight and true, and put a nice, um, yeah, he just had some basic tires on them. Because he wasn't really canyon carving. He's not really canyons to carve out in Boston. <laughs> you don't say. No. <laughs> um, it's, it's mostly cobblestone from what I take it. Yeah. More. <laughs> not quite, but it's it's a lot of just wooded roads. Yeah. Um, he redid the headliner. You know, just a bunch of small stuff over the years that just naturally goes wrong in a 30-year-old Swedish car. Yeah. And then uh, the final stage was a... The head gasket went, so it got, you know, head um, remachined, and although I haven't found evidence of this, I, we do have reason to believe it was poured and polished at one, okay. at one point um, after pulling off the intake manifold, and just the way it behaves compared to the other ones. Uh-huh. Um, a little more, like, more aggressive? A little more aggressive. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it has a slightly different intake tone to it than some of the other ones. Is it more of a quack? It's just a little more brash, um, which is another thing that he didn't do. It was actually the original owner that did was they cut a hole in the fender on those cars. They're interesting because fenders aren't bolt-on. They're welded on. Okay. And so there's basically fender. Wheel wheel well is all metal. It's, there's yeah. no plastic. Mm-hmm. And then front and back of the wheel well, there's space. And that's where they have the fuses on one end. And on the front end, originally the cruise control, where they cut a hole into there and did it professionally. And um, pour 15 to, and rust proofed it and everything. And then that's where the cold air intake uh. goes in there. So it actually has a legitimate outside of the engine compartment area that it gets cold air from. That's perfect. It's, yeah, it is perfect. That's yeah. great. But yeah. And right next Why to Why can't you, everyone do that? <laughs> I know, right? Because that hot air intake, bro. <laughs> bro. Just like on that Fiesta ST I drove with AJ that one time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was looking at Fiesta STs almost two years ago now. Uh, and I was test driving a few and there's one at RC automotive that had been clearly been modified <laughs> and the way that the exhaust was routed was definitely uh, not an ideal place. I think it was like behind the engine. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> where, where it was hottest. So, so you the, mean the intake? Talk about the intake. You, yeah. you said exhaust. I meant the intake. Gotcha. I meant the intake was pointed towards the back. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> People. Yeah. Anyway, so... Yeah, so basically how I found that car, I had been looking for a while, just kind of casually. I still had my, um, at that time, I had my S6 wagon. It was just after I'd bought it. Your UR? Uh, no, my... Oh, the C6? The C5. C5? So the C5 S6 wagon with the 4.2 V8. That was my daily at that point because I had just traded out of my C5. Three, which is actually called the Type 144 for whatever reason, but that was my Audi 225 Avant. And oh I, yes, I had just moved from that to the S6. Gotcha. Um, because that was in March of 2015. Okay. This is September of 2015. Okay. I had a massive vacation plan that fell through, but I already had the time off work, and and we were driving, so there was no plane tickets or anything involved. 
So I just was randomly browsing around around on the thought website. Oh, I'm so retarded. I'm sorry. Oh, boy, I'm going to hell. Um, I was browsing around on a sub website in the classified section and found this car. It was a 88900 SPG in Edwardian gray. Looked very sleek and long description, but a low price. And I was kind of curious. I called up the guy. Name's Nate. Nate Heckenberg is his real name. That's a fantastic name. It is. He's a cool guy, too. Ah, uh, Heckenberg. <clears throat> he had a bunch of... He was also an Audi guy, too. He had four Audis. Oh, funny. I know, right? It's weird. But um, started talking with him about the car. He told me, you know, when he got it and everything. All the stuff I've already kind of iterated. And then I was kind of like, why are you selling it for only 2800 bucks? You know, it's worth probably... A, with that clean and that kind of a history worth probably more closer to four or five. And he's like, well, here's the thing. And I came to learn this a little more later. Sob guys are fairly ultra purist. A lot of them are. And to the extreme that some people won't even put a non sob bolt on the car. I was going to say, you don't see a whole lot of stanced out sobs. Very few. Yeah. And so he's like, they generally have two problems with this car. They love how clean it is. But the, they have no clue how many miles are on it. The odometer has basically never worked in my ownership. I never bothered to fix it. And on top of that, they don't like the fact that it's lowered and it, you know, has a few things done to it. Even though the exhaust and many other things had never been touched and, and in his presence, he would never even tuned it technically. It was still on stock boost and all that. Is it anymore? No, I upped it a little bit. Because okay. basically that car that car was the introduction of the electronic boost controller. Yeah. So on that car, you can actually take it apart and adjust what they call pots, which are just three little knobs. Fresh pots? Fresh pots. Fresh pots! I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, so at that point, even that hadn't been tweaked. But just the fact that other things had been tweaked kind of turned a lot of people off. And yeah. so he and he didn't really... He more or less was vetting people to sell it as well. He really didn't want to sell it, but the wife wanted a garage spot. Kind gotcha. Of, kind of a thing. Take your battles. So I talked with him for like a solid two hours, and this was Saturday. Um, and uh, basically just came to a consensus that I want to buy it. Give me a couple hours to go see if I can find money. <laughs> sure, sure. Because I'm thinking as I'm going around, he he's like, He's like, I prefer cash. I've been burned before by checks. I, you know, he's like, I want cash because wow. we'll, we'll probably be, you know, like at the time that we're able to meet or whatnot, whenever, like, however the hell that works, it's probably outside of banking hours, you know, et cetera. Who knows? And he's like, and I don't want to sit here and force you to wait for the car just because I want to make sure the check clears. Right. So I'm like, okay, how the hell am I going to do this? So I go to America first, which actually shout out to them. I've, I've banked with them for years. I have several different banks I bank with, but that's one of them. And I've always had great luck with their auto loans because I go up to the lady and I say, look, here's the deal. Car's worth about five. I want to take out a loan for four. I'm paying him $2,800. Um, and, you know, I'm taking out more, obviously, for some re cover registration when I get back, but also to help fund that trip because that was a lo much longer trip than I was anticipating. Right. So you need some kind of padding for that. I needed some gas cash as well as, like, hotel cash and that shit like sense. that. That makes sense. And so... She's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's a little unorthodox. I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know. And he wants cash. So like, here, let me like, got on the phone with him. We talked it all through. She got all the info. She verified that it was truly a car for sale. It took about an hour, just, you know, them making sure their due diligence. And I walked out of the bank with an auto loan 
for a car that they had no clue about and had no title with, with an envelope of $4,000 in cash. How did that feel? I was very fucking nervous. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also realized I had to carry this envelope of cash all the way across the country. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> how would that have sucked if you just got, you know, robbed or... Oh, yeah. You know, it gets lost in security, you know, through your baggage check or whatever or any yeah. of that stuff. I know. And then I'm questioned, why do you have $4,000 in cash? You know, because they... Eh, $4,000 isn't like that much money. It didn't that much, but you never know. They might still question They might, things. yeah. So I walked... It was like $30,000. Yes, that's a different story. Yeah. So I walked out of there, called him back, said, hey, I'm going to find a ticket. Um, where's the nearest airport? He said, it's just Boston, the main the main international airport there. Yeah. He's like, he lives in, um, what's a pronounced in the New England way is Worcester, which is actually Worcester. Worcester. But it's pronounced over there, Worcester. That's how you... For, Whatever reason. I mean, we have shit like that here. We There's Tooele. I was going to say Tooele. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he basically told me where to fly in. I bought tickets. And then the next night, which was Sunday night, I went in and had dinner with my parents and announced, oh, hey, I'm flying across the country. Oh, hey, I'm buying a car. Right. <laughs> to which I got staggered response. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. I think that was the last time they ever really questioned me buying a car. But after that, it was more just like roll eyes. Sure, sure. Um, anyway, so flew at the Monday, which is the next day, flew out to Boston. Um, and then it was a daisy chain to get there because I had to get a bus to another terminal, then a bus to a bus stop, which was still about an hour away. Then I had to, then he picked me up from there. We drove to his house and got there and it was like he couldn't pick you up from the airport it would have been about a two and a half hour drive each way for him jesus yeah he's, he's just kind of bare. i don't know i feel like he should have picked you up because you flew all the way from here all the way across the country he helped me date he helped me like set that all up so he's like look here here's what's going to be best because i'm not going to get off at work in time and this is kind of late notice for me to just randomly dodge out of work okay i'm mm, i guess so because it was the day before yeah <laughs> um and he also, obviously, as we all know, selling used things, you never know if it's... You never know who you're going to get on either end, you know, for a seller's perspective or from a buyer's perspective. So he didn't know, you know, he doesn't have any reason to know whether or not I'm going to buy it, despite the fact we've agreed on a price and talked about everything, because I've had that happen and still it falls through. Sure. So he picked me up, got to his house. Car was better than I, almost even better than described, like... Very clean, all original, every VIN tag, never been in an accident. Paint was like starting to show his age, but, you know, had mostly been cared for its entire life. Several, any of the major rust had been patched and things like that over the years. I mean, he had, gosh, he had, uh, I got like probably about $2,000 of new inbox spare parts that he just sent me with. He even tried to send me with a transmission, but I didn't have room. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I could have had room. I could have muscled it in there, but there was also two spare doors he wanted me to take too. So it was like, I, I just kind of said, eh, I'd rather save the heavyweight and just not. Um, so bought it and got out of there at 8 p.m. on Monday. And I had a, or sorry, no, no, no. I got my days all wrong. This was Saturday. Um, and then I had planned to meet um, a individual that I knew in North Carolina. He had flown up to D.C. the prior day. Okay. So, I, so that night, I was going to drive from D.C. or from Boston to D.C. Drove through the night, visited a friend in at like 3.30 a.m. in upstate New York. Jesus. Then dropped back down 
got to Washington, D.C. at 6 a.m., slept for 30 minutes, and then went out on the town the whole day. And we spent uh-huh. we spent two days there. Um, then uh, me and him piled in because he had flown up to D.C., and we drove down through Virginia, down to North Carolina, and I spent three days around there visiting people, yeah. just kind of having some fun and whatnot. And even ended up, you know what's funny? I've never even conversed with her since, but ended up going to a car meet, randomly getting set up on basically a date at a car meet. <laughs> and I'm still friends with her on Facebook. I, I think she's, say, she's like, married. You should uh, hit her up. <laughs> she, yeah, she had a really clean E30 oh, nice. at the time. Nice. And no, she was pretty cool. And I was the only sob there, naturally, as I almost am everywhere I go. Sure. Um, so then continued to drive. And at that point, just before... Actually, I got to North Carolina. The car had its really one of the few functional problems it's ever had, which is the diverter valve for the turbo basically just fell out. This is slowly loosening over Oof. over the years, so I just had to take apart the tubes and just reclamp it, and we're good to go. Gotcha. You know, five second fix that costs no money. Um, after North Carolina, I drove west and went through the. Um, I went on part of the Tale of the Dragon and through the whole Blue Ridge Parkway. and Which is gorgeous. Oh, man. I've got some photos there that were taken on a potato cam that look professional just because yeah. of, of the area. I got some things about that from this weekend, but yeah. more later, more on that later. Yeah. Um, and so I drove through, visited a really cool motor museum called the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville, Yeah, which is just awesome. Recommend anybody stop there that goes through there. Went up to... St. Louis, stayed a night in St. Louis, dawdled around Missouri, then stayed a night in Kansas City on the other side. Uh-huh. I kind of was just daisy-chaining my way back randomly. I didn't really have too much of a plan. Sure. Just kind of having fun. Well, that kind of happens when you have extra money from your car loan. And extra time. Um, yeah, also that. Because I'd already taken the whole week off. So I was like, oh, cool, I can dick around. You can explore. Yeah, and so then I got up to Omaha, stayed there, and then final night was in Cheyenne. Um, I stayed in Cheyenne just because it was, I was tired and I had already bombed like eight hours from Omaha. That makes total sense. Yeah. And so, and I actually stayed in this really cool, like it's a, it was like a vintage hotel in Cheyenne. It was really badass, like probably 120 year old one. Oh, wow. But, but yeah, it was kind of cool. That's more than vintage. That is absolutely <laughs> an antique. Yes. <laughs> no, it was cool. Um, and then bombed the rest of the way home on the final day, which would have been the 28th, um, which was my four-year anniversary just this past weekend. Yeah. And I put on 3,500 miles or really close to there. I'm pulling it up right now so I can quote the exact number because I tracked it all on my GPS the whole trip. Ah, there we go. 3,548 miles to get to my doorstep. And it's four years, so I'll quote the max speed of 105 miles an hour that I achieved on that trip. Not bad. Most of the time, I was actually just cruising. Sure. Um, moving average was, or sorry, moving time was, it took me 59 hours. Okay. Um, 10 hours of stop time and 70 hours of total, like, key on time. Yeah. Um, there was a portion just before the Blue Ridge Parkway where I was stuck on the freeway in the humid heat with no AC, raining. <laughs> oh. So I'm, like, sweating. And keep in mind, my car has those seat covers. Oh, no. For for about four hours, because there was a massive wreck on the freeway. Oh, jeez. So I was just stopped still and could do nothing but sit there and sweat like crazy. Yeah, I had windows down, but that can only do so much. No, no, no. I had windows up because it was downpouring. 
You couldn't even let any air out? I mean, I had them slightly cracked, but that, that, that was like it. It's yeah. just humid and hot everywhere. Oh. But anyways, that was where a lot of that 10 hours of stop time came from. Um, gotcha. But yeah, so made that home. And, you know, as far as used cars go, it's by far the most reliable used car I've ever purchased. Yeah. I know that European cars and to some degree, because mainly as this stigma comes from a lot of American dumbasses just don't know how to work on anything other than the Chevy 350. Um, (laughs) They get a reputation for sometimes being less than reliable, but the majority of the reason for that from every one that I've ever touched is because they've been touched by people that should have never been touching cars (laughs) to begin with. True, true. Which can be said about a lot. That argument can be said about a lot of them. I just know from personal experience these cars are much more reliable than most from their era. Sure. And I mean, there are exceptions to that. Um, I know that older Porsches for sure are very robust. Yes. Just when things happen, they are wildly expensive. They're more expensive. And ironically, the Saabs aren't that way. They have more, I think they have more smaller issues spread out that don't really affect the running. But to give you an example, I'll have people ask, oh, it's got to be expensive to run hard to find parts. Hell no. The car... Are parts not hard to find? Uh, for about me- engine, mechanical... About 80% of the parts you could ever need. Short of like a full engine rebuild kit or like things once it gets to that level. Sure. Like regular service parts. Oh, any auto zone or a What if you had to rebuild your motor? If I had to rebuild my motor, I could still get the parts. I just have to get them from a sub specialty site. Oh, but that's easy access. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not really that hard. I mean, is that stuff being flown from Sweden? To get here, is it kind of like working on an older Lotus where you, or not even an older Lotus, if you're working on your Elise, yeah, and there, yeah, sure, the engine is out of a Matrix X- XRS, yes, and the diff and like the transmissions are out of the Corollas or whatever, mm-hmm. but there are still like connecting arms and like all sorts of like intricate things that are proprietary to Lotus that do wear out. Technically speaking, that's even more proprietary because it didn't really... This what is, is? The Lotus? The Saab. Oh, Because it, it did not really share componentry at sure, all. Sure, sure. But, like, is it harder to find Saab stuff than it, or more of a pain to get to obtain Saab parts than it would be for Lotus? Like Prop- shipping over from England? Or- no, because everything almost comes from the States. Here's what happened after Saab disbanded is... Several companies banded together and bought the patents. I'm also for the talking part. about 80s Saabs, not like the 97X and the 9 mm-hmm. whatever. Which actually, those are even more. Believe it or not, the newer ones are harder to find parts for. Even the GM car equivalents are harder to because find parts for? Because Saab still changed so many parts on them. That really? They, even the most. Okay, so GM owned 100% of Saab, but the most GM a Saab ever got, um, there was only. A, basically three cars that they manufactured that were so similar to their GM or otherwise brethren that are really part swappable. Number one is a 92X, which was a Subaru. It was a Subaru. So that one, it's only really a couple body panels that are different and some emblems. Yes. There's really... It Verbatim, is, yeah. It is a WRX I, I, wagon. I, I've driven uh, Todd Deacon's old Subaru. Yeah. And that felt literally like a WRX. It was. There, yeah. there was very minor changes. It was pretty much 95% Subaru. The 94X was a... Which one was that? It's effectively a... I don't remember which SUV it is. Because the there's the 95. Okay, so that... Which is I'll a trailblazer. I'll get to those. No, 95 is a sedan. 
Oh, sorry, the 9.7X the was... The 9.7X was a Trailblazer. The Trailblazer SS. Yep, so that's about the same, probably about 95% GM. Yeah. With very few differences. Just the magic, 95 Arrow. Which was very much... That was its own thing, though, wasn't it? It was... Basically, they gave Saab a voxel platform. Oh. And then Saab chopped it up and changed about more than probably 60% of it. Gotcha. Very, gotcha. you know, there was a couple... Some Wait, so what was the 9.4? The nine, it's an SUV. I don't remember which SUV it was shared with, but th there was only a few hundred of them made. Um, I am currently Googling just to see. Um, it was one of their smaller SUVs. 4X. What is it? Oh, whoa. Would that have been mixed with a, uh, like a Saturn? Like the Saturn View. Oh, sh of? shares it with the Cadillac SRX. Oh, there you go. Yep, the uh, the other like small. for those that are interested at home, it came with a 2.8 liter turbo V6 or a three liter. It's the LF1 V6. I don't know what that exactly it's just means. It's naturally aspirated. Um, but yeah, th those three it, cars. Well, so Wikipedia is saying the predecessor was the 97X. More or less, because at that point they stopped making the 97X. Um, but they're still vastly different platforms. 97X was still a truck platform that was rear-wheel drive. This, I wouldn't think that they would be at all in the same lineage. Technically, they shouldn't be. They but, shouldn't be. Wikipedia but those are the weird. only two SUVs Saab ever made. Yeah. So in theory, it's the successor, quote-unquote. Eh. It's also Wikipedia. Anyways, but... It is. This is why you don't believe everything you read on the internet. Mm-hmm. So anyways, those three Saabs are the only three that were manufactured close enough to their GM brethren that a lot of parts are fairly available. Yeah. Other than that, the 9.5, the newer Gen 9.5 and 9.3s, which were based on voxel platforms, were heavily changed, and they're actually kind of hard to get harder to get parts for because of how much they changed. Yeah. You rewind, and there wasn't nearly as many made. Yeah. You rewind back to the older Saabs. And there was over a million of, them, million of them made over their whole production life. Sure. So there's a lot more to uh, give parts for. And so to answer your question, when Saab went bust, a bunch of companies banded together and bought the patents for all the parts mm -hmm. and still manufacture them. That's cool. And so, for instance, a distributor for a Saab 900 like that, I could almost get it any AutoZone for about 30 bucks. Not bad. About the same as a Honda Civic in the same year. Like, it's not expensive. Not bad. So... That's that was kind of my weekend update of like I, I actually took that car out and we were supposed to have a meet but it you drove of, it here too I drove it here too yeah just because I had it out still and it needed to stretch its legs but that's good car needs a few things but it's still a great fantastic car it's good to hear it's good so, to hear that it's holding up well over time and yeah um, paint's gone a little because it hasn't been garaged in my ownership as much as I wish but yeah that's character. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so after my 30-minute rant of uh, what I did this weekend. <laughs> well, I mean, we could do a number of different things. We could wrap this one up, and you can, I can talk about my weekend on our Wednesday episode. True. And then we can have our challenge on Friday. You want to do that? Let's do that. All right, cool. Um, Go watch our shit on, on YouTube. Um, GT3 isn't out yet because... I'm fucking burnt out a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll just be completely frank with you all. Um, <laughs> things have been real busy in my life uh, with work and photography side hustle and uh, what I just did actually over the weekend, which I will talk to you about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, 
I'm going to be working on the on the GT3 video. It is coming out. Uh, the published date is to be determined at, at this point. Um, I'm just trying to keep my ducks in a row and keep from going insane. <laughs> it's a failing battle. It is. It's it's definitely an uphill battle. It's just it's pushing the rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, I mean, I might succeed. I might not. Who knows? Tune in at ten and find out. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But uh, yeah, go follow us on Instagram and stuff. Uh, let us. Uh, here's actually something for our listeners to uh, engage with. Engage with us on. Tell us where you're listening to us on. Because I'm genuinely curious. I have analytics from Shout Engine. Yeah. Who are great. Um, I love being able to see how big our audience is and if it's growing and you know who's listening to what and all the downloads and stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't tell me who's listening on what platform. So uh, let us know. Um, mailbag.eos at gmail.com is our email. Uh, you can also just slide in our DMs. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, yeah, until next time, I've been Gavin. I've been Justin. And this has been the Exhibition of Speed podcast. Bye. Bye.